Well, as we continue on talking about serving like Jesus, I want to just briefly recap where we were last week because the things that we talk, talked about last Sunday will set the stage for us today. So we looked at how Jesus tried to get away to a solitary place. He was grieving the loss of John the Baptist. When he showed up, there were crowds, multitudes of people, thousands of people there. And it says that he had compassion on them. Uh, by the way, I, I just some great conversation we had around this Tuesday night in our connect group. We were talking about this passage as we always do, whatever uh, the message is from the week before. A lot of our connect groups would use that as a discussion to dive in further. And we were talking about how, uh, you know, I kind of made a comment along the lines of, I think if I were in Jesus's shoes, I would have been frustrated, you know, showing up and all these people are there and I didn't want them to be there and how I was amazed at how he didn't respond that way. And I thought it was great that our connect group leader, Rich, said, but you know, the Bible does not say he wasn't frustrated by that. And, and that's true. It's a good point. He may or may not have been, but it could very well be that, you know, seeing all the people was a little bit much, but his compassion may have overcome that. And that was a good reminder to me that being compassionate doesn't necessarily mean that there won't be times that you're not frustrated or feel like there's a burden that you're carrying to minister to others. It doesn't mean that there may not be times where you're thinking, I wish these people would go away, but you do something anyway to show compassion there as Jesus did. So we don't know. Uh, maybe you can ask him someday. When you get to heaven, was he frustrated when the people were there or not? Then we'll know. Uh, but for us, just that reminder that compassion is all about letting that overwhelm anything else so that it does lead us to service. That's what serving like Jesus is all about. And today we're going to look at three different examples from Luke chapter 5 where Jesus serves and that compassion gets put into practice in some different areas. And here's, I'm going to kind of give you the, the, the main direction we're going, then I'll give you three examples of, of what that looks like. But all of these have this one thing in common. We're going to see in the passages that we're in today that serving like Jesus means investing in those who are overlooked. That's the common denominator among these people in Luke chapter 5. These are people who easily would have been overlooked by society, and yet Jesus, because he had compassion and because he loved, he, he loved them. And of course, that's the goal. You know, whenever we come together, our goal isn't just to open the Bible and let's you know, talk about stories and things like that. The goal is that it would motivate us to serve like Jesus. We see what Jesus did, and so we're saying, okay, I want to take steps to, to move in that same direction. So that's where we're going to go today, starting in Luke 5, verse 12. While Jesus was in one of, those, one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Then Jesus ordered him, don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as his testimony to them. Yet the news about him spread all the more, so the crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed, which we see that theme over and over again, don't we? Uh, once again, of Jesus getting alone to pray. So he would give out, but then he would get refilled in his time of prayer. So this one, this first example is a man with leprosy. 
Leprosy is mentioned dozens of times in the Bible and really has a fairly broad connotation to any type of a infectious skin disease of some sort was usually lumped under that category of leprosy. And in the Old Testament, there's even some pretty clear instructions on what to do if you have leprosy. And this isn't something that you wanted to have, for sure, as we'll see here in just a moment. But you were required to go show yourself to the priest. The priest would examine and basically make a pronouncement of whether this was an infectious skin disease or not. If the answer was yes, listen to what happened. Leviticus 13, 45 and 46 says, The leprous person... Who has the disease shall shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose. And he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. Guys, that's, that's pretty strong, isn't it? Thinking who would want to be in that situation where you're not told not to take care of yourself. You're told to shout unclean. You have to remove yourself from everybody else and live outside the camp. And you have to stay there until you are clean. Now, keep in mind, some of this had to do with controlling the infection that that could come as a result of this. Some of it had to do with uh, God just making this very clear delineation between what is holy and what is not. And, and, But still, we read that, and it's like, man, there were people that actually had to separate themselves completely from everyone else. In fact, one of the things that I learned, and this was fascinating to me, and it really caught my ear, as it will yours when I say this, is that a person who had leprosy, even with family members, was not allowed to get closer than six feet from their family members. Who knew, right? (laughs) That the six-foot rule goes all the way back to what they practiced in Bible times. But, but it, it was interesting to me when I read that and I thought, we have a little, and I emphasize the word little, but a little bit more insight based on going through a pandemic than we would have had before about what this was, would have been like and the damage that would be caused by the isolation that these folks would have felt. They were not allowed to, even with family members, to hug or touch family members or anybody else other than those who had the same disease that they had. They would uh, gather together in colonies and live together, and so they at least had that. But can you imagine what it would be like to be completely ostracized from everyone else except for those that had the same uh, disease that you did? You know, it, it got me to thinking about what we learned through a uh, relatively speaking, a relatively brief period of isolation, which by the way, I don't remember if I said this a moment ago, but leprosy was generally not curable. And so when it says that you're to remain isolated as long as you have the disease, that generally was a death sentence for people. That meant for the rest of your life, you're going to be living in isolation. We have seen the devastating impact that isolation has made in a relatively short period of time. There's a reason why suicide rates have skyrocketed, why divorce rates have skyrocketed, why, you know, and and by the way, maybe this is related to COVID or maybe it's not. Um, Everybody I've talked to that is in the school system says kids are crazy right now. I mean, I I talked to one of my friends that 
you know, was injured breaking up a fight in his school just the other day, and he said that was one of two. And I mean, there, there's, people are nuts right now, aren't they? And, and I think part of that has to do with isolation and things that we've been going through. We, we were, Sean and I were, were out this week, and we saw um, an old friend. Uh, it was one of those things where, you know, we were headed in somewhere, and, and as I walked in, I thought, did I just hear Blake and Sean? And I'd poke my head back out, and, and we saw our friend Liz that we haven't seen in seven, eight, nine years. I don't know, they used to come to church here, but it's been a long, long time since we've seen her. And we were just kind of catching up. How are you doing? And she had an interesting comment. She said this. She said, you know, we weren't doing so well because when COVID hit, like everybody else, we isolated ourselves, and they kind of live out away uh, from most people anyway. And she said, but, but we took it to such an extreme, we never got out. We never had interaction with anybody. And she said, we realized we were living in fear and it was tearing our family apart. And she said, so we've, you know, not that they just wanted to be foolish about anything, nor should any of us. They said, we realized that that's, that's no way to live. And a lot of you have experienced, a lot of us have experienced the same thing, right? Where it's like the, 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 the impact of isolation is devastating. Now, I know for some that, that, there are medical reasons why, and some, I'm sure, right now are joining us and worshiping with us today because online, because you just can't be here for physical health concerns, and, and I get that, but I would encourage you, find ways to stay connected, even if you, if you have to take you know, more precautions than others around you do, find ways to stay connected. It is so, so very important. And the flip side of that is, as we all know, if we're just being honest, COVID has also become an excuse for us to isolate ourselves. It's become, it's given us an out to say, I'm just going to remove myself completely. That is damaging. That, that, that will really have a negative impact uh, when we do that. And so I, I look at this and I'm thinking, man, here's somebody who knew that and lived it firsthand. They had no choice but to isolate themselves. And they weren't allowed to have interaction with anybody, and yet somebody comes up to Jesus. I mean, this is somebody who's desperate, right? He's ignoring the protocols, but it says that he fell on his face on the ground before Jesus, and he begged him. And notice what he says to Jesus, and this speaks to, to, to where he was coming from. He says, if you are willing, you can make me clean. See, he was confident that Jesus could heal him. We don't know if he had seen people be healed by Jesus, if he had heard about people who were being healed by Jesus. Maybe it was some kind of supernatural revelation. We don't know. But his faith was there. He was confident. If you are willing, his question was, are you willing? And Jesus spoke the words that he needed to hear when he said, I am willing. But you notice that he did something else before that? Before he said that, it says, Jesus reached out his hand. And he touched the man. And I'm thinking, are you kidding me? Jesus broke every protocol from a, just an earthly perspective, put himself at risk. Now, obviously, we know more to the story than that. You don't do that. You don't touch somebody in this condition, but Jesus did. And I can't help but to think his action, his willingness to reach out and touch this man spoke louder than the words, I'm willing, uh, because he didn't have to touch him. 
There are plenty of other instances in Scripture where Jesus healed people without physically touching them, or even physically being there for that matter. But Jesus touched this man because he knew how desperately he needed that. That's compassion. That's the kind of compassion that we're talking about that takes us out of our comfort zone and, and, and reaches somebody who was overlooked by everybody else in society. But let's keep going. Here's another example, verse 17. One day Jesus was teaching and Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat right through the tiles into the middle of the crowd, right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking, and he asked, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. So the very beginning of this section, the first thing that it points out is that the teachers of the law, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were present when this happened. So in order for us to use categories, because I like to try to say, okay, what would that look like for us today? I think the closest thing we could come to for a Pharisee may be a pastor. And the closest thing we could come to for a teacher of the law would be like a, a Bible school teacher, professor, seminary teacher, that kind of a thing. So you've got your pastors and your, your religious trainers, professors, who are there. You would think that these two groups of people would be the ones who would be the first to want to see a person be healed, who would be the first to demonstrate compassion toward those in need, but they don't. Their only concern, they have no concern for this individual whose life has been completely, you know, just put in an incredibly difficult place. They're not concerned about that. They just want to catch Jesus and saying something wrong. That's their motivation. Jesus, on the other hand, knows that what he's saying, what he's about to do is going to get him in trouble, but he doesn't back down. You know, he has compassion. He's concerned. Think about what it would be like in that day, in that culture, to be paralyzed. I mean, I, I don't think any of us can relate to what that would be like if we've not been there ourselves. And even today, I cannot imagine how challenging it would be for a person to function being paralyzed. And I know many people do it, and they, they, they're incredible contributors to our society, and, and so I'm thankful for that. As difficult as it would be today, it would have been even more difficult back then. Because think about lack of medical care, lack of technology that can be really helpful uh, for people today. Uh, lack even of a, a social understanding, because those who are paralyzed were often viewed as being cursed by God. And they were outcasts. Really, their only hope was to beg. They had to depend on somebody else for sustenance. It's not like they could get a desk job or use their intellect to somehow provide for themselves. In this culture, that really, there really wasn't much they could do. And so this man 
you know, would beg. Thankfully, he had friends who cared enough about him to bring him to Jesus. And by the way, notice that it says when Jesus saw their faith, not just the man's faith, but the faith of all of them contributed. And so that could be a whole other sermon of bringing people to Jesus and having that, that kind of concern. But, but get this picture. They've got this guy on a, um, some type of a mat that they're carrying on. I picture like a stretcher kind of a thing. Uh, if you're a medical person, you know, you're carrying somebody on something and there's a massive crowd of people and they're trying to get to Jesus. But can you imagine carrying a grown man on this mat trying to maneuver through a crowd? There's no way that you're going to be able to do that. And so they don't give up. Love their persistence. What do they do? They go up on the roof, which are flat roofs with, with removable, you know, dirt types of floors. And it says that they removed a section of the roof and they begin to lower him down right in front of Jesus. Now this, this is kind of a funny scene for us to think about. I mean, you're Jesus and you're teaching and all of a sudden dirt starts falling on your head. You know, you're thinking, what is going on? And next thing you know, it opens up to the sky and then a human comes just lowering down right in front of you. This is some crazy stuff. This is some crazy faith that they're demonstrating here and Jesus, just like he didn't say to the man with leprosy, he didn't say, get away from me, what are you doing? He didn't rebuke him in any way. He doesn't rebuke them either. But what he does say is incredibly odd if you don't understand the context of what's going on here. It seems really, really unusual that a guy just got lowered down from the rooftop in front of Jesus, and the first words out of his mouth are your sins are forgiven. Isn't that interesting? The guy didn't come to have his sins forgiven as far as we know. He came to be healed. See, if you were to ask him, what is your greatest need? I don't know this for sure, but I'm suspecting his answer would have been, my greatest need is to be able to walk again. I don't want to be paralyzed. I want Jesus to heal me. And he seemed to have in mind a physical healing, that that's what he was focused on. But his greatest need was really to have his sins forgiven. And that's my greatest need. That's your greatest need. Every single one of us, that's our greatest need. And frankly, some of you don't, you don't realize it yet. You know, we're so focused on, oh, I have a financial need, or my marriage is falling apart, or I need this with my kids, or I need a job, or I need this, that, the other, and we focus on all these different needs, which are legitimate needs that we have, and by the way, God knows that and can meet those needs, but our greatest need is for our sins to be forgiven. See, the Bible tells us that we are all sinful, and as a result of that, we are separated from God. And so what we need more than anything else is a new start. We need to be forgiven. We need to, to have uh, a place prepared for us in eternity so that when this life is over, we don't have to spend eternity separated from God because we're sinful, but we can be in the presence of God forever, not because we're good, but because he forgave us. How did he do that? Well, Jesus knew what was coming, and, and the rest of the, the story is we have to, to express our faith in Christ in order for us to receive forgiveness, but Jesus knew he was going to the cross. He knew that he was about to give up his life, that he was going to become the sacrifice for sins for us. He died in our place. He rose from the dead in victory over sin. Jesus did all of that for us. And so our greatest need of forgiveness is one that can be met right now. 
And if you've never come to a point of trusting in Christ as your Savior, I mean, just by turning away from trying to do things your own way, you know, trying to be in charge and saying, okay, I give up, I surrender Jesus, I'm giving my life to you, I'm trusting you. At that point, we receive forgiveness. And we're made new in Christ. And I suspect that might happen for somebody today. That for the very first time, you come to a point of, of realizing what your greatest need is and having that need met. But the rest of the story for, for this paralyzed man, thankfully, is not that Jesus said, your sins are forgiven, now carry him back home. <laughs> Jesus said, your sins are forgiven, but then he said, get up and walk. Now, they asked a really good question here when Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. It's a very legitimate question that the religious people are asking, and that question is this, who can forgive sins but God alone? And so their assumption is he's speaking blasphemy because only God can forgive sins. And they were right. It's just that they didn't know who was talking to him. They thought this was some imposter claiming to be God. They didn't know that this was actually God in the flesh. But the question is a good question. And it points to the fact, and this is really the whole point of the story. Jesus was letting people see this is the reason he went that route. He could have just said, get up and walk, and not gone, gone the whole route of forgiving sins, but he wanted him to, to make a statement. That, yeah, I've come to, to meet physical needs, but I really want you to understand who I am. I am God in human flesh, and therefore I can forgive sins, and he does. And the guy gets up, and he walks out uh, forgiven. Well, let's read one more example. So we've seen two people with physical needs. Now let's look at one with a spiritual, specifically spiritual need, not a physical need. Verse 27 says, after this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting in his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who begged who, sorry, who belonged to their sect, complained to his disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. This person referenced here as Levi is the same person we sometimes call Matthew. Um, we don't know whether he just had two different names, which is common in Scripture, or if his name was changed, much like maybe Simon was changed to Peter, one way or another, it seems to be the same person he's talking about. But what we do know is that this was a Jewish man who served as a tax collector. That meant that he was the greatest enemy of his own people. Because he had become an employee and a servant of the government that was oppressing them. He had become a traitor. And no upstanding Jewish person wanted to have anything to do with a tax collector. And yet Jesus reaches out to him and invites him into the inner circle to be one of the disciples. And not only that, but, but he gathers together a bunch of his other friends. So now there's a whole gathering of the worst among the Jewish people. And Jesus is right there in the middle of it. And the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, are furious. And they go to his disciples, which, by the way, is fascinating. They didn't have enough guts to ask Jesus the question, so they went to his disciples. But they asked them the question, why do, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And it says, Jesus answered them. So the disciples didn't answer them. Jesus hears the question and said, let me answer. It's because it's not the healthy 
who need a doctor, but the sick. Jesus said, I've come to call those who are far from God. That's why I'm here. That's why I've come. And I love the fact that it says that, that Levi, through this party, invited people to come, and they were introduced to Jesus. But you know, as I read this, here's something that, that, that really struck me as well. It's a very sad fact that the more we get to know and love Jesus, a lot of times the less we get to know and love those who are far from Jesus. That's, that's a sad reality. We can become so consumed with others who are like us, which is good. We need that community. We talk about that all the time. But, but we can lose connection with those who are far from him. And when I read this passage, I thought, man, if Jesus is reaching out to people like Levi or Matthew, I need to be doing the same thing. You need to be doing the same thing. How are you being intentional about developing relationships and reaching out to those who are far from God? That's something that needs to be a really high priority. And I want you to know that's something that is a high priority for me as, as the pastor of this church. It always has been, but it is really, really important to me that our church be a place where somebody who is experiencing doubts or maybe doesn't share our faith or is maybe, frankly, just totally far from God and the last person you would expect to walk in a church that's a person that ought to feel really welcome when they walk through these doors. And they need to know that they're loved, that they're cared for, that they're not going to be judged. I'm going to speak the truth, but, but in a loving way, because we're all sinful. We all have been rescued from a past that we're not proud of. And so regardless of, of, of where a person has been, or maybe some of us in this room or some of us joining online, you're thinking, yeah, I, I don't fit in among church people. Well, yeah, actually you do, because the church is just made up of sinful people that have been forgiven. Guys, we can't ever forget that. We can't ever lose that focus where we are constantly thinking about how do I share the love of Christ with somebody who maybe their, their life may be quite different from mine, and they may be in a place where they're much further from God than I am at this particular moment, but that's the person that I need to love. That's the person that I need to, to reach out to. That's what Jesus did. He, he reached out to people that were overlooked by everybody else. Maybe because of physical ailments, maybe because of the fact that they had turned their back on their Jewish people, or whatever the case may be. Jesus reached out to those that were overlooked and he invested in them. And I want to encourage you to do exactly the same thing today. That's what today's message is all about. How do we invest in those that are often overlooked? And there are a lot of wonderful ways that our church has been able to do that. I'm right, look right in front of me. I see uh, Valerie and Brian sitting here, and I know they've, they've been doing that through our foster love ministry along with a great team for a long time. Uh, we have had opportunities come our way uh, recently. Stephen, last Sunday, stood up and told us about an opportunity to provide coats for refugees from Afghanistan. You talk about people that, that, that are going to be in a place where they feel overlooked, regardless of your political views or all of that. The, the fact is, these are people who have left their home and are in a place where, where they know nobody other than maybe a few others like them. They have nothing, all their connections. So 
man, great application there. We've talked about the importance of investing in, in ministries like the uh, Amazing Grace Food Pantry, for example, where we provide food, and you've provided, I think, about four tons of food so far this year. I know many of you go and serve on a regular basis, and you help get food to people that need it. And now we've added another ministry, which actually I'm going to have an opportunity to do for the first time this Saturday. I'm excited about that. But a coffee ministry that's basically designed around how do we pray with people, how do we share the gospel with people, and, and not just meet a physical need, but a spiritual need. We've had opportunity to do things like uh, providing backpacks for kids going back to school, and we were challenged to provide 300 backpacks, and we thought, wow, that's a lot. We ended up with 336 backpacks that we were able to provide for kids as they went back to school this year. So our church has done an amazing job, and I'm very proud of that fact. And so just a little encouragement there, but keep it up, because we want to be the kind of people that are always looking outside of just our own, uh, our own group, you know, outside these walls. But I want to close with this encouragement as well. Sometimes we also need to look within these walls and ask the question, where would God have me to step into an area of service within the, the, the uh, church family itself? And, you know, in Jesus' day, one of the things that made him unique was the fact that he reached out to and he loved children because they weren't the priority back then that they are for a lot of us today. So I want to conclude with this, with an encouragement within our church family, a great way to reach out to those that might sometimes get overlooked is to, to volunteer to work with our kids. Would you be surprised if I told you that we have more kids coming on a consistent basis now, both on Sundays and on Wednesday nights than we had even pre-COVID? That's not true of everything else. Everything else has not returned to where it was, but kids have. But as you might imagine, we also have a few less volunteers now than we did pre-COVID. So more kids and fewer people to be able to, to work with them and to encourage them. And so uh, I throw that out there to you as one specific area. And I'll, we'll share some more specifics next Sunday, uh, an area where there's a need. In fact, let's put up the, the uh, visual there. On the screen. Here's just a, a, a rundown. I asked Stephanie, I said, just give me a list of what. And so if that is of interest to you, maybe you want to take a picture of it or, you know, just so you have that. It's actually in the uh, bulletin notes online as well. But just to know, you know, whether it's serving behind the scenes, whether it's helping people get checked in, whether it is actually teaching the lesson or just being uh, a presence there to support. I know, for example, on Wednesday nights, they, they need men just to be there, you know, to interact with the kids, not necessarily to teach, but to just be there. So lots of opportunities. Uh, here's what I want to encourage you to do as a very specific action step. We're always talking about texting different keywords, right? Because that's a simple way to get something back. Well, we're going to use our, our, our same number that we always use. But if you will text the keyword kids to that number, It'll send you back a little form, and you can just indicate, I'm, here's my availability. I'm more interested in this and at this time. And, and then from there, um, I don't know, Stephanie or somebody will reach out to you to, to talk about uh, what those opportunities look like. But find a place to serve and look for opportunities to serve those that may sometimes get overlooked. If it's not kids, that's okay. But find something. Find some place where you can say, okay, I'm going to serve like Jesus by making a point to, to minister to people that, that just need a little extra love and need, need a little extra touch from me. Let's pray together. Lord, I do pray today that you would help us to have your heart 
to, to make the sacrifices we need to make and to, to do what we need to do in order to serve those that you love so much. And Lord, I pray just specifically that you give us a heart for those that, that maybe are far from you, whether it be for reasons of um, limitations that they have or maybe just in our own mind um, or that we've drawn some boundaries that don't need to be drawn, whatever it may be, help us to love people to you. In your name we pray, amen.